A strong and independent woman is something to behold. She pays her own bills, buys her own things, and she doesn't let a man affect her stability or self-confidence. She is a soul-rich woman. Are you ready to be rich doing what you love? Be on purpose and in control of your life again. At For Women Who Love the F Word podcast, we will be openly talking about getting more clients online, getting recognition as the leader and female entrepreneur, and also the F Word, being fabulous, having freedom and financial independence. It's time to own and love the F Word. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm Dr. Yong Shin Ning. I'm the co-founder of Change Voyage Consulting, and we help companies to build their change capabilities. I'm also an adjunct lecturer in a Singapore university, and I teach business model design to undergraduate students. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this interview on building business resilience through recurring revenue income stream. If you are an SME and you're thinking about how to get stable cash flow, this is the interview that you must listen to. And the most common means of getting a stable cash flow is through a recurring revenue stream. And getting recurring revenue stream is like the holy grail of any business because firstly, you get stable cash flow. And secondly, you spend less acquiring businesses or customers. And this is especially important in the current economic climate when SMEs really need to rethink their current business model to make it pandemic-proof and recession-proof. But it's not always easy, and many businesses have traditionally been conducted as a once-off transaction, and it is difficult for business owners to think about how to you know, reconfigure their businesses to generate recurring income. So today, I want to introduce a very special guest who has done this repeatedly in his numerous businesses and is very successful. He's Mr. James Wee. He's a serial entrepreneur who has owned, is currently owning numerous businesses, including packaging company, software development, coffee chain, digital marketing business, and his latest venture is Soul Rich Woman, which is Southeast Asia number one female entrepreneur network, connecting 200,000 female women across the region. And since 2002, he has co-founded founded 10 businesses with many crossing 1 million in sales in the first year. So you will hear three things from him. The first is how he determines whether a business is suited to generate recurring income. Secondly, what barriers did he face and how he overcame them. And secondly, and thirdly, it's the opportunities that this pandemic has given to SMEs to repivot their business model. So you'll hear all these from the man himself. So let me now invite James into the interview. Hello, good afternoon to Dr. Shin Ning. Okay, thank you for inviting me for this interview. And I shall share with everyone today that's here listening to this interview, some of the experience I have over the years. Okay, I think most importantly for myself, I have been involved in uh, many businesses. The very first one actually is in the manufacturing uh, in terms of uh, packaging businesses. Since 2002, we started the business and over the years we have grown and uh, in the, all the total group sales that I, we actually have is more than 100 million since 2002 itself. 
And on top of that, I also deal with some uh, retail business, which is cafe. We are in three countries and we have 18 franchisees and franchisor itself. We also are involved in some software developing over the years. And the last but not least, I was uh, now doing So Rich Woman, the coaching and mentoring programs for a woman business owner itself. In my hobby time, actually, I was doing martial art and we have created a new martial art programs called Nihondo Do. That is uh, roughly all the things that I've been doing in the last few years. Good. Okay, thanks, James. So we will hear more about some of um, your successful ventures later on as we go through this interview. So, sure. James, the first thing that I wanted to talk about with you is how do you identify whether a business is suited to generate recurring income? Because I know you have always advocated that a business should strive to set up recurring income stream. But in my experience, many SMEs will struggle with that because they are not selling a service or a product that consumers need to regularly replenish. So for example, bakery business or floral business. So can you share with us from your experience, what do you look out for in a business for opportunities to generate recurring revenue? James? Oh. Good. Maybe let me just give you two examples. I think a lot of time when we start a business, even from my very first business in the packaging world, we are actually selling packaging materials and products to an MNC in their logistic department or some SNE in their logistic department. But we usually want to not only want to keep selling because every time you sell to a new customer, you've got to acquire a new customer. So along the way, we want to figure out, is there anything that they have been consistently using? Then eventually you want to actually focus from selling things to a customer to actually solving their needs. So we found out that uh, a lot of uh, packaging area where the logistics are, they used to buy big bulk of packaging materials. So the shipping and, and storing of the packaging material is, is uh, not very convenient. So eventually we managed to design a packaging machine in terms of the machine that crumpled the paper into a, a, a volume that you can pack the, for the product. And because of that, when we list the product, the machine itself in the logistic area, Month after month, they will continue to purchase the paper as the raw ingredient to produce the packaging itself. So in that sense that from then onwards, the more machine we place out to the SME or the MNC in the logistic area, the more regular income that you will reoccurring month after month because of the volume, we can predict that how much they are using every month. So by not only selling them the packaging material, eventually we try to solve their needs of having uh, no need to keep so much stock for just to have the packing itself. So we bring the machine there and then eventually they will be so-called stuck with us and keep on reoccurring, ordering the raw material from us. This is one of the way in the logistics side that we did in the very early years since I think 2003, 2004. The next example how I can you, give you... How did you come yeah. up with that idea? How did you... Um, did you always have that idea or what was the trigger that made you think that, hey, you know, we need to rethink the way that we um, get recurring income revenue stream? What was the trigger okay. for the packaging um, example? Okay, in packaging world, in the again early stage when we started, of course, we always try to sell to them something. They want foam, they want bubble wrap, they want all kinds of different packaging material. We only buy the supply and then we sell to them. But along the way, we realized that in US, when we start to also receive things from other countries, we realized that how come the packing is in a paper form. But again, for paper to really be crushed, it's going to be very puffy. So, even you give one container to them uh, in the logistic, they use really very fast. So eventually we realized that there's a machine that 
they can crumple in a way that they actually make it puffy. Then they can actually use it. And one big roll of, let's say, I think 100 meter, they can crumple into, let's say, uh, half a container space. So because of that, to really lock them down, what we are looking at is reoccurring. Means how can we lock them down rather than just selling the material? They can buy from supplier A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So the only way is if we can give them a machine that belongs to us, whether you use it lease or is it give it to them for free, depend on the volume they use. But we know that with this agreement sign, they must continue to buy the raw material, paper raw material from us. I think one of the example in the toilet paper roll, I think Kleenex or something like that, in the retail world, that's people who are selling to all the hotel and things like that. If you use their things, uh, the equipment itself, the paper have to buy from them. So we, from the industrial world, we also realize that that should be the way that we can lock down company after company again and again, giving them the machine and then they must buy the raw material from us. By doing so, we actually uh, 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 so-called can protect ourselves by not letting the custom, uh, the competitor to come in so easily because unless they are with, like us willing to invest a machine to continue to get the reoccurring income. This is from, from our time in 2003, 2004, we are actually doing a trial and error. But we found out that this type of machine and raw material buying from us is actually started from US. There's a lot of US companies is doing that. So we realized that that should be a very good model that the more machine you put it at the customer place, the more you have reoccurring income. And it's going to be, uh, they call it accumulating business in terms of the sales figure. So that's what we have done during that period. So maybe James, um, now that you are thinking back about your experience, it may all seem um, very easy because you have already figured it all out. But could you tell us at that point in time, did you encounter any issues? Because I would imagine when you are thinking about buying the machine and then setting up the consumables, um, there may be people who may be resistant to this way of procuring or are there any technical issues? Maybe you could um, share with the audience what were the problems that you, that you encountered and how you overcame them. Okay, a lot of time when we talk about the word re reoccurring is once we bring our focus from selling them something to solving their problem. The next thing, of course, in the technical, not technical, in the operational-wise or the investment-wise, it's so easy to say put a machine and then they buy consumable for us from us. But it's always how many machines are you going to invest and then whether you're going to buy from the off from the shelf to supply to them and, or you want to modify, right? So the few problem we face is the outlay of the capital. But mm. again, if you don't do that, then you are just one of the supplier to supply some bubble wraps or some other packaging material that they can switch from us to A, B, C, D, E, F supplier. So in order to do that, we decided that we should embark on looking for something that we can do reoccurring, even though the investment is a bit high to start. The next one, of course, is the scalability. That means when you have only one or two machines, you also only got very little reoccurring. But we realized that looking at predicting that if it's 100 customer, 200 customer, that's where we know that our revenue is going to be, is going to be more stable. So we rather do that in the planning as, go, as we go along. I think it's third year, second or third year, we realized that we have enough resources to go into this area and start to uh, look for customer to convince them to from buying ready-made packaging material, which they keep, they have wasted a lot of their space in the warehouse mm. just to keep the raw material for packing. So then when we convince them that they definitely must convince them, the end customer, that there's a saving for them, saving of the space, saving of the cost. But most importantly, our most difficult situation is internally is investment of the machine. 
Externally, it's convincing the customer. This is something that we work very hard to eventually uh, uh, cross over because, again, we use all the US and UK, those Europe uh, companies to show that that is actually also more of eco-friendly because of paper. So these are the few things that we definitely going to face in any business you want to do is outlay, then the customer, convincing the customer to switch another method. It's definitely something that a lot of business owners need to look into if they were to look at change of business model in terms of that. But during my time, we are just working on trying to grow the business and want to have more stable business. That's why we are looking at all different situations and we spend probably half a year, one year, two years to figure it out and then find out what is the possible consistent income that we can have. Then we come up with this, we call it the reoccurring income model. Yeah, so I like what I heard. I, I think what I heard from you is that uh, you wanted to differentiate yourself from your competitor because you are selling a commodity product and people yeah. will buy from you if you are able to offer them more value than um, your competitor. Yes. Um, and I think the second thing that I heard is we almost always must focus our attention on what is the benefit to the customer. And in your example, the benefit is that because the customer when they are going to store packing materials, it always takes up a lot of space. But when they buy or buy the machine from you and they can crush the paper themselves, actually they save the space that was previously used for the bulkier materials. So the value to the customer in a sense um, was a way of convincing them to switch over. Okay, so, so the, this is interesting. And the question that I have for you is, um, did your ticket do it in baby steps or did you actually decide to invest a very large amount um, immediately? Okay, what happened again during the initial phase, we know that in long term, definitely if you want to have 100, 200, it's going to be bigger uh, investment. However, we always believe that to start off in the baby step of having a few machine to start off, even when we buy a small quantity of equipment, we call it equipment or machine or tools, it's going to cost us more. But we need to work, work out a calculation to say when you hit 100, 200, and then the paper material we bring in from small quantity, definitely you, when we buy from, from any supplier, the quantity is small, usually the cost is high. But mm -hmm. we always need to ask ourselves, the, we must, they, they always say that in the older days, you must buy the bullet, tia, tia, buy the bullet to make sure that during the early stage calculation, ignore the costing. Because we must know that if it's 100, 200, what if it's 1,000? Then the paper cost is going to be low, the machine cost is going to be low. Mm -hmm. When we project that, when we hit, they always say break-even point, you know yeah. that from there onwards, you will be profitable. So we must believe that that is the way to go rather than so easily everybody can uh, uh, become your competitor easily and then the supply, the customer switch over. Then you to take big back, you got to lower the cost because just by lowering the pricing, lower and lower and lower, when, when, when does it come to an end? That's what we don't want to have. And also, if we cannot project our own sales figure, it's going to be very risky for business. So that's why from 2002 until today, we are still around. <laughs> okay, of course, we do other innovation, but this is one of the things that we realized that when we start off with the right footing, everything seems to be more in the path. Yeah, yes. so, so what I'm in your projections, you need to really think 10 steps ahead of your competitor and Therefore, whatever you are um, doing is also a calculated risk in a sense. So you have to keep your eyes ahead to say that, you know, what if we scale? Um, 
will we have the capacity to, to meet that demand? But yet, be prudent um, in terms of your calculation and forecast. Uh, so, so what we heard is a B2B example. Um, can we maybe switch gear to look at a B2C example? Um, I, I know you started the cafe, cafe um, now here um, and you later on exited to a public listed company. So that is also an interesting case study. Do you mind sharing for us how you, um, how you constructed a recurring income model in um, Cafe Now here? Okay, what we did, what we did, the same thing. When we started the cafe, eventually we exited to a public listed company owner. He, I think he bought the whole entire of our group chain to, to, to pass over to his son to do. But what we do is in a cafe retail chain, usually people only sell their coffee and food at the coffee outlet as a retailer, correct? But what we did is we go one step uh, vertical. It means we also want to make sure that we produce the, uh, we uh, roast the bean and then we grind the bean to supply to ourselves as well as to all the franchisee, the franchisee with us, as well as some licensing, which is the mobile uh, push cut that they we, we started with them. So when we give them the license for franchisee, of course, they must buy the bean from us and the few things that we control. So um, uh, month after month, the franchisee that get our license will buy certain raw material from us so that we can have consistent volume of the coffee beans. At the same time, for the licensee-wise, for the mobile coffee, same thing when we teach and guide the people to start a mobile coffee station, when they do projects, they will also, one, and the most important thing they have to come back to us is the coffee beans. This is the way we do it. But in the retails to end consumer, we also actually embark on having people to uh, purchase the bean itself and then we deliver the beans to the end consumer when they like our bean in our coffee now here because we have our own in-house in blend. So when customer actually like the in-house blend, they actually can come to our coffee outlets to buy the coffee beans and use it for their own consumption. The final stage before we actually exited, actually we are actually embarking on uh, having a subscription model. That means uh, for a family of a uh, 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 few, let's say usually the father will drink the most. So every month, let's say they, they need about 10 to 20 kilo of beans, then we will be supplying to them and then they just need to subscribe to one of our online system. We call it mm -hmm. a subscription way. Then they will just, we will just every month, I think a uh, certain um, uh, day of the month, we will deliver to their house. Their job is to just receive the thing and consume. But when they think it's overused, uh, 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 they still have stock in their home, then they can actually quickly go to the online and just stop, pause for one week or two weeks. Then mm -hmm. after that, we will continue to give them again. So this is one of the way we eventually target the end consumer and try to supply them with the bean. And after that, in 2016 or 2017, when we exited. Actually, from there onward, there's a lot more and more people who are actually selling the capsule, some of them sell the bean. They are also starting to understand that Singapore get to more and more supply, also understand about the word subscription-based model. So they are subscription-based model for home consumer and also office consumer. That means the office will use about two three $300 of beans a month for a big uh, uh, company itself, for the office pantry. This is also an area that the time we are about to reach out to we set up all our software system ordering and then eventually we exited to the listed company owner and pass over to their children to run the business itself. So yeah. if I will summarize the different revenue streams that you obtain from the cafe business, you have the B2B part, which is your franchising and licensing of um, the, the business model for the franchisees. 
so that's one. The other one is the consumables part whereby franchisees would need to buy um, the, a steady supply of the beans from you. And actually, what I also heard is that you um, also market the coffee beans or the coffee product to consumers um, in a subscription model basis as well as to companies on a subscription model basis. So that's actually a very wide variety of um, recurring income revenue streams. So not only one, but many and to different um, audience or target segments. Um, and I just wonder, did you, did you have all these ideas right in your head the day one that you started the business or was it through some kind of um, trial and error, adjusting of your assumptions that you came about um, all these different revenue streams? Okay, same thing when we when we embark on the coffee uh, business itself. Of course, the first and foremost, very common people will start to think that a Kaika cafe, let me open a cafe first, right? To understand the cafe. And then the mm -hmm. two of our operating partner actually are uh, coffee lover. But again, all of us are coffee lover. And two of them are more into coffee or the operator. Nobody talked about all the rest of the revenue. We started a cafe first. Then we realized that hey, to get good coffee, we must roast the coffee. So we backward to say that we buy the bean and then we roast it so we can control the house blend. Only after the house blend of coffee bean, we say, hey, but roast for our own cafe, very little. We mm. cannot have volume. That's where we decided that because we are running business for me and my few partners running business many years, we decided to structure into a franchise or franchisee model first. So we eventually sell our license to uh, bring in more franchisee to uh, start the same brand with, like us. Like, of course, the big brand will be Starbucks. You know, people buy their franchise and then they just start. But for us, we do it more locally type of branding. So we, we get people to start uh, a cafe using our, our brand. So we give the franchisee certain rule and regulation. But our main focus actually is only wanting them to continue to buy the coffee bean from us. That is mm -hmm. our main focus. Then subsequently, as we do, again, the licensing in terms of the push cut model, because more mm. and more people, again, from selling things to actually understand customer need, there's a lot of uh, small little wedding and some events happening that people like to have a, a coffee station to get a barista mm. to serve. Then, Rather than the the uh, uh, two young young uh, young young guys that say start a coffee station, but they can buy coffee from anywhere the bean. But if we were to teach them what to do, then when the program comes about, and then we when we guide them what to do, the equipment everything. Once we finish selling the whole licensing to them, again buying equipment everything is one time off. But we we know that they need to continue to use coffee bean right to serve their end customer right. From there, we say that then the only thing that we want to work with them to have this agreement is they just need to buy the coffee bean from us as a house brand so that we can increase our own roasting of the volume of the coffee bean itself. Then along the way, again, we start to hear consumer actually having certain needs. And then hey, anyway, we are using, we are we are drinking every month. We know how much we are consuming. Then we say, hey, why, why can't we come up with a reoccurring model in terms of subscription? And again, mm -hmm. I think Singapore at that time might not be very common, but many other countries already doing that. So in some exhibition, we do hear about okay. this type of thing. But then we, we, we just give it a try. Lah. That's how it works. <laughs> okay, yeah. that's, that's great. So maybe then we talk about um, some of the barriers that you face or some of the problems that you face. Because what I heard from you is that the entire process of the various recurring income stream um, kind of came progressively because you 
you listened to the feedback, you looked at the market and see what were the trends that were evolving and then you kind of um, evolved uh, over the years. So maybe could you share some of the, the issues or barriers that you faced with some of the recurring income stream from the cafe business? For example, um, when you set up the, the mobile, the mobile um, cafe business, uh, did you have an issue trying to find customers who would actually take up the, the license? Did you have any of such problems? Okay, what happened is, again, when we see that there's this need and this trend going on, either the, like I said, the one or two person partner together and start a mobile coffee station and then figure out everything on their own. Why don't we, from our franchise, the whole entire system, which is for a whole cafe, we make it simplified to guide them. So we actually do a lot of preview to tell people there's this business opportunity for people to run a coffee uh, 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 outlet, but not in terms of actual outlet itself because the outlet will be at least 250000 to 350000 But a push cut mobile station will only less than thirty to 50000 So what we try to do is to convince young people who are actually thinking of doing coffee business, don't just jump into doing a cafe which the outlet is too big. Mm -hmm. So we are able to convince them to say that you could just try out this mobile coffee cart. If it doesn't work, your loss is also not that huge. And with all the guidance and everything is being taught by us, all you need to do is with the agreement, you just need to continue to buy the bean from us. That make them wanted to try and uh, take up this opportunity. And when we do this uh, uh, way of getting people to come in as the licensee, actually we got overwhelming people wanting to do. But eventually we have about 16 or 17 people take up to give it a try. And again, same thing happened is uh, many of them realized that that is it's not an easy business to do mm -hmm. because there's a lot of things to, to take, take care of. At least we tell them that one thing you can be assured of is if you continue to buy the bean from us, you can maintain the quality because at the end of the day, a good event want to have a, a mobile coffee station there with barista, what the end customer that they are going to serve on, what they want is a good coffee. So that's yeah. why the coffee bean is important. Yeah, definitely this is something that we believe that if you open up more and more, then eventually they come back to us, then it will be a more reoccurring income. However, that is a manual or offline way of reoccurring income. Our last phase before we actually exited actually is having the software that not everybody like to do, but for us, because we are also a software developer a few mm. years back before we come into the coffee business. So we believe that if everything can on, go online and purchase, and then eventually we realize that there's thing called subscription, why don't we just supply them consistently a certain quantity if we know that they're already buying every month certain quantity? So we give them a discount and then they go into the subscription model. So every month we just need to send them the quantity mm -hmm. that they usually order for their own consumption or for their office. So that's how we started. And of course, the difficulties on getting this reoccurring income because uh, when we again start, you don't have the volume. So to give them discount further, even if you every month send to them, the volume is not enough for us to do it. So again, the calculation have to say that in the early, maybe first 100 customer, we are not making a lot of profit. But again, what if it is 1,000 customer? Then your logistic, everything else is going to reduce cost, right? Then you're going to have profit. So we are always calculating to do reoccurring income. The start is tough, but some of we have a software, although we de develop a software ourselves, but let's say you will get someone to develop a software, there will be a cost involved. Agree, but uh, we always calculate that if the volume get to a certain amount, then there will be a break even by further from that, you will be profitable. The only thing you need to ask yourself this question is Is there this type of big market 
and we realized that coffee have. So coffee is the one that we think we can do that. Ah, yeah. okay. The market is important. The overall market that people are drinking coffee, I think other than, uh, uh, I think consumable product-wide coffee is the biggest uh, market in the whole world in terms of the revenue. So I think this is something that a lot of people should look into. That's why okay, we I think that's a, that's a very good segue to um, my next question. So if I can kind of like just wrap up this part with um, the kind of key takeaway is actually recurring income stream uh, not only serve to generate a stable cash flow, but actually it serves to also reduce cost. Because uh, when you buy in a large volume um, to serve a very stable demand, you can also depress the, the cost of the, the materials that you buy. So um, it actually serves to then increase your profit margin. So maybe then the very interesting next question is um, what you mentioned just now about the addressable market. And you felt that uh, the coffee business is a, is a great business because the addressable market, people drinking coffee, uh, is, is, there's a lot. So... Um, and consistent. <laughs> every every day they must drink. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't live without my two cups a day uh, coffee caffeine fix. Yeah. So maybe then the question, and we have talked about this um, quite a few times offline, is do you think that for all business, uh, they could generate recurring revenue? Or do you think that there is only specific types of business that is suitable for generating recurring revenue? Maybe let me have your perspectives okay we have done quite a fair bit of business we will always uh look into how it can be reoccurring for us means that for example if you were to go into a business usually people will take about one year to grow their own business to see if there's any area of their own product or services that the customer keep coming back mm. then from there then you must ask yourself hey can it be reoccurring then like you said the market size of whatever product or service you're selling is it big in singapore if it's not can it be overseas, you also can serve the product and services. Then, it, uh, then further is, if everything is going online now, I think why I go into the last phase of my own business in terms of under Solish Woman and uh, coaching people to do online business is the same thing because now the world, they always say it's getting more and more flat. Many people are selling all over the place and, and can cross border easily. I think the biggest example is Amazon. You know, they can do everything and put everything together and get it online. And then people are getting reoccurring. So for him, it's more of reoccurring of subscription. But I think every business wants to aspire to become one. It is not, again, uh, uh, I cannot really think of anything that is not possible unless you, again, it's your mindset. Is it? If you think it's not possible, then forever it's not possible. But if you think it's possible, then you can actually do your own research, you know, uh, uh, find, figure out more on how you can your trade or your product or services can eventually uh, reoccur and then from offline version maybe, then eventually how to make it online so that it can be reoccurring to increase your chances of surviving during difficult times. I think something like that is very important that the business owner must have the mindset that they are willing to look into the business to uh, find some reoccurring way of getting the business to be better and better year after year rather than just say not possible because the old way is like that but there's always new way to do things. Okay, so I think I, I took away, firstly, the mindset need to change. Uh, to be open-minded that there is a different way of doing business other than what they have been doing for the, the past 
decade or donkey so. Donkey years. <laughs> donkey years. Maybe not okay. even themselves if they are new entrants, but maybe the industry, uh, maybe it's the way that industry has, has, has done it. So I think that's one interesting takeaway. I think the second interesting takeaway for me is um, there is no one step to the end goal. So when you start a business, um, there is a lot of time that you need to look at the response of the market to your product. Um, what sells, what doesn't sell, um, what you can kind of amp up, what you need to get rid of. So there is a lot of um, you know, keeping in close contact and engagement with your, with your customers. So I think that's, um, that's also a, a, a good uh, feedback or a, a good tip for um, entrepreneurs or business owners, right? That there is no correct answer. The correct answer is what the customers actually feedback to them and what they make of um, the feedback. Yeah, because I agree with this part because a lot of time, a lot of, uh, we call it traditional business owners who do their business for donkey years. Uh, they always don't think that the customer will buy it in that way. Like uh, uh, the one period people say, who will buy things online? Who will buy a vegetable online? You know, because those perishable items. But you see today, uh, maybe because of pandemic, like, everybody have to order it online, right? Even your perishable item can actually sell online already. So again, the traditional business people who have been doing the way they do it because the world has changed so much and people who did not have a mindset shift and that they always stay in their old way trying to struggle and figure it out themselves. If I were to have someone to guide me, you know, to, to, to do things for me, to, to tell me that there's another part of the world already doing certain model, why mm. wouldn't we do it the same way? Then the next question is, it's difficult. We don't have the scale. We don't have the number yet. But it's always difficult until what happened, you know, is the newbie of that trade comes in with the younger generation people, always innovate and do it differently. And then they created a reoccurring model, subscription models, that membership model that they take away all the traditional business owner business. Only then they start to realize that, oh, something that they might not know because they have been firefighting day in and day out. You know, or they have been making good money, too comfortable and relaxed without looking at what if someone were to take away their cheese, right? So what mm -hmm. can they do? So we always say that the most important thing is really if there is a need from the customer, then we must think of a way to solve it rather than just try to sell something and then sell. Of course, sell something is buy low, sell high is the old way of doing things. Now the new era, there's a lot of competition going out there. No longer just trying to sell something to a customer. You must solve their needs. And a lot of time, uh, probably Singapore and many part of the first world country is people value uh, time. You save them time and convenience more than the pricing itself. So a lot of reoccurring subscription audits is actually working towards the mindset of if this executive want things to be convenient for them, timely, that means when they need it, it's there for them timely for them. That's why you want to work out all these mm -hmm. things to make it possible for them. Then they actually will, will don't mind about the pricing. And again, you can uh, deter the competition not so easily just take away your cheese or your pie. That's something that uh, a business owner in the traditional world don't want to do because operational not possible. We don't have the scale. Yeah. They always say the same thing. Like, I don't know about uh, software. Is it reliable to use software? Will people actually pay online? <laughs> those are the things that people always talk about rather than how can I do it you know mm, what does it take for me to actually achieve that 
So, so James, I always enjoy tapping your your brain in terms of um, developing recurring income revenue streams. So, maybe for the sake of the audience uh, listening on to this interview, if I were to ask you, how do you have a recurring revenue for a bakery shop in a heartland? Um, off the cuff, would you be able to come up with some ideas of, of what recurring income um, such a shop can set up? Okay, a, a lot of time, uh, a cake shop itself, uh, if it's, you say only can do the cake shop business, they might not be. But however, because the person who is owning the cake shop is they are considered small business owner, not like uh, Black Talk want to open 100 outlet. Then the business owner, what can they do if they are the sifu who do the pastry and things like that? But have you ever thought about, they have been doing that for donkey years and they must, it must taste good so that the neighborhood have been always patronizing to them. That's why nowadays there's a lot of causes teaching people to do bakery, to do this, to do that. Can you actually package your knowledge and eventually put your knowledge into a, a, a recipe or you can put your knowledge into a, a program. Then this program, of course, you say, ah, that means I'm the one teaching, but I don't like to teach. Do a recording version and put everything online and then use online to get the reoccurring leads and then they purchase the thing. You don't need to even be there. Send them the link of the recipe, send them the video to teach them how to do. You'll be surprised that more and more people now like to learn a knowledge and have hobby especially in Singapore because we are actually start to be well-to-do. People learn gardening, bakery, everything. If you think about in the knowledge economy, the knowledge part is something that you can continue to sell. Mm. Further than that is once your knowledge of the, the, the pastry skills are go online and then able to be uh, imparting your knowledge to someone at a very affordable fee, there is no limit in which country people going to buy your recipe. Which part of the world is going to learn from you in Asia as, a, as a, even a, a, a auntie that teaching something that yeah. she specialized for the last 30 years. I have been making, making a cake or a pastry for the last 30 years. That, that kind of thing, hey, I want to learn. So knowledge-based economy is also going to be the future. Again, that's why I'm in So Rich Human, uh, investing in So Rich Human and partnering with, with So Rich Human to look into all people's knowledge can eventually make into a knowledge-based economy things to sell to people in any part of the world. They might not need learn your th- technique uh, to do business. No. They might just want to take it as a hobby. Just imagine mm-hmm. for $9.90 to learn a recipe and a videos to, to make a pastry, a whole world looking at it and a million people buy for $9.90. That is $9 million. <laughs> it's only whether the auntie or the person doing bakery, do they believe in that? Or they still think in the whole life they just want to make bakery pastry to sell. Is it that, that what they believe in? This is something that uh, it depends on the business owner, the older generation. I think one of the very big examples, I was watching a, a documentary about the fish ball. There's one person they compare, is one store, 30 years, the father passed over the recipe, he made the fish ball and he got one store. The other guy sell the, 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 the way the fish cake is being done or the fish ball is being done in using machine and then they are all over the world. Why? It's still a fishball, you know? One, mm. make it scale up. One, still stay in the traditional way. So again, do you agree that probably the one that do big business is the one have the change of mindset? Eventually, yeah. the fishball, whether is it in retail selling or is it going to be yeah. a consumer, we don't know. But again, you must have the mindset change before you are able to embark on it. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's something that you need to, uh, uh, as a business owner, are you looking into the world have changed and then 
embark on some improvement in your own business in terms of the business model? I, I really like this idea because um, there are two key takeaways, which I think is really important. One is the people that you're selling to now may not be the only people that you can sell to, right? So your example of um, people who actually are the consumers of the, you know, the cake or the pastry itself versus people who want to learn about how to, how to use, uh, how to do the, the pastry. So there are actually two different segments of people. I think the other takeaway that I have listening to this example is um, think about all the things that you have in the business as resources that can be monetized, right? Yeah, so, especially your knowledge. <laughs> Probably exactly. something that you can monetize again and again without you being there. <laughs> yeah, again and again without being there. Actually, that's a that's an excellent, excellent point for segue into um, our almost final um, point, mm-hmm. which is so, you know, the, the world has been kind of turned topsy-turvy by the pandemic. And um, a lot of businesses, small um, as well as large ones, are actually thinking about how they can change their business model to respond better to this post-pandemic world. So could you give us, uh, the SMEs, some advice on how should they strengthen their business resilience um, in this post-pandemic world? What are the opportunities that are available to them if we think about this as uh, not a crisis, but uh, um, opportunities? Okay, what happened is, again, when all the traditional business owners do the traditional way without anticipating there's this pandemic, actually nobody anticipated it, but people who are now doing well Okay, other than medical people, uh, medical product, of course, down to well. But let's say every other business, being everything being equal, those people who already have been embarking on their uh, the whole entire business into online world, meaning that getting leads online and getting things more visible online, and eventually they are having some software or a platform for them to be seen or being able to order their product or even introduce their thing in a video format. Everything online is important because moving forward, uh, the retail outlets, of course, because of pandemic, now there's big change. Actually, it's just accelerating the change. It's going to change one. You know, in all the big companies like Alibaba, when we listen to all the uh, story, it's, it's going to change, but it will take certain years. For example, let's say five to ten, eight to ten years. But now because of pandemic, it seems to be shortened. And you can see a lot of uh, traditional business start to have people uh, recording the videos of introducing the product, I, mm. I saw the other day, even I think uh, Gain City had to have a person introducing the vacuum, the, the equipment. They no longer need you to go to their outlet to scrub machine how to use. Huh? Then the, the, the person will teach you or, or give you mm. some recommendations. So these are things that a lot of uh, business owners, before this pandemic, they will say, ah, we're Kai retail. They want, they will come and see the thing and then we will share with them. So a lot of their information, knowledge, or even uh, things that they can do it online one, they never thought of that. They, yeah. they will say again another excuse, the customer will not buy from online one. Lah. Again, you see, you are stuck in your mindset. That's why you say it will not happen. But during pandemic, everything that is not possible, one, lah, now is happening. So can you imagine that? So again, what about in terms of position yourself now, again, from our side, we are doing coaching and mentoring and guiding people to have the value ladder. How can you actually have something that is, again, giving people knowledge and information about your product or services. 
Then with the value ladder getting them in, then eventually you nurture them. Then finally, people will buy from you and not your competitor. That is something that, to, you, to be frank, even bricks and mortar product and services businesses should do because it no longer, uh, uh, a lot of business are no longer just need to have one touch point and then the customer will buy. Now they need to have a lot of touch point. And a lot of touch point, which include a lot of time, is online using Facebook. People want mm. to see a few more times. Then there must be a recommendation of the equipment. How good is your service? How do you differentiate yourself? What is your, even nowadays, people want to know what is your company uh, story behind why you produce this product. So all this is very important so that the consumer, especially the younger generation, they purchase things differently. So do you have a certain way of value ladder in terms of getting the customer to come in to have one touch point, two touch point, three touch point, and then give out a lot of value on introducing them uh, the knowledge of how to use the product or services first by not selling to them. Then over time, when they get to the point when they want to buy, guess what? You are the one they, they think of and they will come and look for you. So the, mm -hmm. the thing is change. Do you want them to come and look for you? So this is what the online world, you are supposed to position yourself and set up yourself ready. That you are the, they, they always say the word brand. Brand is quite a big, big, big word. Huh? It's more on, can you be the one that they choose because of your uh, 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 positioning of being the uh, leader in that area? Then how do people know that you are the leader? Because you do a lot of information, a lot of sharing, a lot of knowledge. Even now property, a lot of people are doing that. Why is it so? Before pandemic, no. No, nobody do that. So more and more business is looking into that. And the key is younger generation, most purchase transaction in the moving off future will be more and more increased in the online world. Mm. They will just buy something, even a, they said a copier machine that costs 30, 40,000, they can transact over online world. No longer need to go and see the physical world, physical product. And because of pandemic, from eight to 10 years, then more people will do. Now it's shortened to, everything become so crazily possible and everybody mm. start to and then start to go online and try to get their, their sales process online, try to do everything on, try to record a lot of videos, try to give uh, uh, prepare, prepare a lot of information to be online, searchable for consumer to consume and have a touch point before they make the decision to actually buy. That is something that uh, a lot of business owners need to consider and also look into multiple stream of income because you cannot always rely on one way of making the money. You could have made money for the last 30 years, but trust me, in the next three to five years, you might be wiped out if you don't look at more multiple stream of income in your own business itself. You really need to look into that area. So I think what you mentioned is very interesting in that when you move your business to an online model or at least have an online um, touch point present. point. Yeah, yeah. present. Uh, actually, the way that you conduct the business will also need to change. So instead of expecting people to just come and buy from you, you actually need to nurture your customer by giving things that is of value, possibly free uh, at, in the early stages, so that when people want to buy, they think about you and not somebody else. So actually, that's uh, uh, and, and that will also mean that actually the things that, the activities that you do in your business will also need to change. It's not like, oh, I just have one person to keep selling things. I also need to have the competency or capability to start developing some of the, the content, the video and stuff like that. Yes, because what happened is, again, 
mindset first must shift and think that you must think of way to serve the customer better, solve the customer problem. But at the same time, because of many touch points before the customer said yes, or at the point of time when they want to purchase the product or services, why would they need to buy from you? So the only way or now the way of online work is giving a lot of value by giving them the knowledge of, for example, mm. uh, cleaning carpet, even cleaning the aircon. But you know that nobody will clean their own aircon. But you were to share about how to clean aircon and your expertise of your company staff, the way they do it in step one, step two, step three, step four, they will feel that, wow, this company is so professional. By yeah. the time they need to service the aircon, they won't be the one servicing. Because the older thinking is, I teach you, then you do yourself how? Uh? It will not happen. Or they will be very small majority will do themselves. But you want to show them your expertise, even cleaning carpet, mm -hmm. or must do this, must do that, eco-friendly or whatever. But by giving a lot of value, a lot of information, for people to understand and know it, eventually when they think they're doing it, they will think of you as the service provider that they feel comfortable because you either consider the expert, the leader, or you already uh, show them that you are you are capable of doing it. That's important for, for businesses. And then, like I said, most importantly, for people who already, uh, uh, from traditional business to move yourself online, is you must be visible online so that it's easy searchable. Next is, if there's a possibility, you need to look into because when, when you go online, it's no, we call it, uh, there means no geographical uh, constraint anymore. Uh, boundary because, because of the uh, courier service. Of course, that is, people say then that is only product. Yeah, but product you can deliver from different parts of the world. Right? And then we talk about new technology of freezing the product and things like mm -hmm. that. So you must think of going online world is for that purpose. Last but not least, you will be surprised from my own experience even if you are services, but when you share a lot of things online, you are visible online, you will be surprised that people want to do partnership in other countries will look for you to become your franchisee. Yeah. But you must be visible uh, visible online first. Last time is we must go to exhibition. We go exhibition and tell people what we are doing. So world exhibition, uh, whether selling product or services, uh, also try to go online to get more information and show your expertise online and easily searchable, searchable first. So when people want to partner with you, want to become your franchisee and things like that, it's possible to get to know more information about your company or your expertise in the online world. Then mm. again, then you will do your value ladder to attract them in with the best again because people like free things with good content, must be valuable. Lah. Not everything free but useless then also no point. But give them the knowledge of certain things to make them feel that you are the leader in this area. That's why you mm. The customer will come to you or even your associate partner or future yeah. business partner can come to you. So that's something that online is already uh, proven to be the future and because of pandemic, everything is shortened. So either you do it, okay, or you will be, you will disappear in the next <laughs> three to five years. Again, this is not only, I have this actual feeling when I say people might not listen. When Jack Ma say the whole world listened and we go there and listen to again, all the experts there say the same thing which I already predicted when it's about 2010 to 2014, when the technology things is changing, I was in the startup world, all this, and online world, developing software and trying to bridge the, the they call it the world boundary uh, and get everything be able to, for different country. People are talking about it, but we keep it to ourselves because we are figuring out, you know. But as the big player is talking about it, then we realize that it's going to happen and mm -hmm. pandemic is going to shorten and make it happen even faster. Yeah. So whether you accept or you don't accept, mindset shift is the first thing you need to do. So 
this then leads us to kind of the last um, segment of my, my question. So after you have, so today, even though we are talking about recurring income, but really we, the advice that you are giving to the SMEs is how do you really survive in, in this new world out there? So what would be um, the one advice that you would give to um, small business owners on how would they be able to thrive um, in this environment, this uncertain environment? Okay, one of the things that we, we always look at for, I always speak from my own experience, my own experience and my own business is, first and foremost, whatever you do, whether it be product, product or services, you must always ask yourself, how can you have multiple streams of income? Either the most uh, trial and error way is look at your competitor, the bigger player, what are they doing? If not, then we will want to find some information or some people who have this type of experience and knowledge, which can be, I think, the a lot of uh, causes going out in the from the government side, giving us a lot of knowledge. But again, if you don't change the mindset, you think everything not possible. But if you think it's possible, then you go and search out for information available out there, right? And then you get uh, the tried and proven way so that you can shorten all your mistakes. Of course, my time when 2002 until now, we struggle, struggle, figure it out, struggle, struggle, figure it out. Look at what other people do, you know, competitors do. But if there's something that we are able to, you know, reach out to, to already have certain uh, uh, strategy that is happening. I was uh, in the startup world, there's some uh, canvas, uh, business canvas, business model. These are things that uh, people should look into. The only problem we face, again, as business owner in traditional world, we are firefighting. So we got no time, we got no money, we don't think it's possible, the consumer not going to buy in this way, you know. These are all the excuses. So you really need to look into multiple sources of income, get yourself online and get to really check out and ask, is there any support and help out there that can shorten the process for you? And we don't say the word guarantee. Of course, business, there's no guarantee. However, there is, have been people who have been doing things that have been successful. Is there anything we can learn from them? And then we can actually shorten our learning curve. But most importantly, you need to start to take action and look into your business seriously. Cannot wait until the next pandemic then you panic. <laughs> That's the mindset. So if I will just summarize, right, um, the three kind of key takeaways. The first is be sensitive to the, um, the trends and the, the knowledge that is out there. Right? So... Um, be aware, very keenly aware. Um, but the second part, which is actually the very important part, is you need to open up your mind so that you can absorb the information um, to apply to your own context. Because the, the trend that you see out there may not be immediately applicable to, to your business. And right, I think the right. third takeaway that I have um, obtained listening to you is uh, you you can't reach the end goal in one step. It is through a process of um, trial and error. It's a process of staying very close to your customers and even to your competitors, knowing what they are doing, uh, what they are doing to lead the trend of the, the industry. Yes, but just last one example I can think of is what if you are considered the leader? The question is sometimes in your own trade and businesses, sometimes other people's trade and businesses might not be 100% the same, but because they also have some reoccurring business model or they have some subscription model, 
did you have the mindset of open mind to receive and then eventually look into making your own business to be reoccurring and subscription possibility? Because if you think it's not possible, you are always right. But those people who think it's possible, they are always right also. So it's always <laughs> reaching out to your... But what we did many times is always when we don't know, uh, we ask our customer because they will tell us more info before we look into actually, is there a possibility or not? So serving the customer need and understand they are solving their problem is also some area that you really need to be very serious rather than say that since we do 30 years, very stable, very big, we are comfortable, you know, in your own small niche. Some of them are in very, very small niche area. You just need to be very, very aware of the digitalization, innovation, and the world have been very flat. Things are changing. The competition are coming really very fierce. What can you do to be sustainable is the key that you need to look into. Okay. So we have um, kind of reached the end of our interview. Uh, every time I talk to you, I, I really learn a lot. And I really hope that the listeners to this interview would have the, the amount of takeaways and insights uh, that I, I have taken away as well. So thank you very much, James. Thank you for uh, 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 giving this opportunity to share to the people who is listening. And I hope that I've shared some valuable experience that I have. Again, whatever, don't take all the words I say. Always do your own research. And because every business is different. But yeah. however, from the experience I have, do able to help you to really just have an open mind. Once you have an open mind, everything will set forth because you are in your own business for the last 5, 10 years. You should know more about your business than anybody else. Just have an open mind. That's what I would like to say. Thank you very much. And I'll see you again. Hey, thank you, everyone. I hope you have taken away as much as I have talking to James and understanding how do you build a stable cash flow through recurring income and strengthening your business resilience in the post-pandemic world. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so honoured that we are connected and I hope that I can continue to serve you as you build your dreams. And if you love this episode, and I hope that you did, rate it 5 stars. Give us that glowing review because it will help more women around the world finding this Soul Rich Woman podcast. Alone you are strong, together we are unstoppable. Now share this with every woman who needs it because this is how we are changing the world, one woman at a time. As always, get out of your comfort zone and go towards the dreams you've always wanted to achieve. For women who love the F word, being fabulous, having freedom and financial independence. My dear soul rich woman, sending you my love and I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now.